this is Andy Gill from Gang of Four, and you're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Stay tuned for Gray Matters. Good evening and welcome to Gray Matters, your weekly current events, media analysis and commentary program. My name is Jim Dwyer and I'll be bringing you the show tonight here on this Labor Day. Rainy day at the moment, Uh, some heavy rains coming through, noticing some flooding, different spots of town. Although we're lucky we haven't been... uh, flooded like it was in Warren or in some of the other places nearer Detroit. Nonetheless, uh, people do need to make sure that the storm drains are clear in their neighborhood. There's always some schmuck who just drags a bunch of uh, lawn trimmings and dumps them out in the curb and it all washes down and blocks up the pathway. So go carefully there. And I think for the next hour or so, it's going to be some Rain's coming through. But, of course, Labor Day is uh, a signifier of many things in the American calendar. Primarily, it's seen as the last holiday of summer. And it's, in fact, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a state law put in place uh, that determined that you could not start public school before the Labor Day weekend Uh, ostensibly this was to uh, give families a chance to have, you know, one last outing or trip and to promote the Michigan economy by going out and doing things um, in your area or doing a little bit of last-minute traveling up north or something. But I think also the unspoken reason was to allow uh, places like Dairy Queen and McDonald's and mini golf and all the other things, businesses that uh, uh, typically are associated with summer, to exploit the uh, teen laborers for one last weekend 
before they have to go back to school and their schedules change and so forth. Uh, so uh, Labor Day is uh, inescapably, you know, connected to work. Uh, if you were out today, uh, it's amazing how many shops and stores are open, how many of those people are getting paid the overtime, whether it's time and a half or double time, uh, that they are deserving is, of course, uh, a pretty big question mark. I'd be willing to bet that most of them aren't being given any extra wages for working on a legal national holiday to acknowledge workers because they are not full-time employees and therefore, you know, don't have that as one of their benefits. you got to be a full-time employee to have a paid vacation, paid day off, etc. So the so-called 89-day wonders of the world never really get to uh, benefit in such things as overtime or in many cases even legal holidays. The other great uh, irony, of course, is that, uh, well, I don't know if irony is really the, the right word, but uh, oddity, let's go with that. Uh, most of the uh, industrial world celebrates Labor Day on May Day, May 1st, the first day of the fifth month. Um, and there's a reason for that historically, um, in medieval Europe, that was a big cultural weekend. Uh, it's the beginning of the spring season, the growing season. There were ancient fertility rituals and so forth. Walpurgis night, as some of you might know, is to May Day what All Hallows' Eve is to All Saints' Day. And so um, that's why Labor Day occurred on that day in Europe. But of course, because Europe is socialist and May Day was, uh, the European, uh, labor movement was often very closely bound up with socialism, uh, or early nascent communism. Uh, the powers that be in the United States were loath to, uh, see parades of American workers walking on that darn commie holiday May Day. So we're going to celebrate workers, but we'll do so later in the year. We'll, we'll do it at a different time because it's just too, too damn communist to acknowledge workers on May Day. And so the tradition is born. But if you uh, were spared the necessity to go out and do any shopping or buying or purchasing of any kind today, uh, then you've just enjoyed a nice quiet day at home. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Although, as Terry Jones uh, pointed out in his Medieval Lives program, for as rough as their life was in many other ways, medieval peasants actually had more days off, that is, work holidays, than modern service uh, sector industry or industrial manufacturing workers uh, have enjoyed. So <clears throat> the trade-off is there. You know, we have analgesics and uh, better hygiene and, of course, electricity and warmth and so forth. But uh, we have to work a hell of a lot more often uh, throughout the year than the medieval peasant of old. But since it is Labor Day, I'm going to share with you an article by uh, Paul Craig Roberts, who has a uh, little something today on uh, Counterpunch, 
Thoughts for Labor Day. Of course, Paul Craig Roberts is the former Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Treasury and is um, an associate editor of the Wall Street Journal currently. Uh, he appears regularly on Counterpunch, and so I'm going to share his thoughts for Labor Day with you here now. This is entitled, Labor's Demise is America's Demise, and he writes as follows. <clears throat> Labor Day is a holiday that has outlived its time. Like Christmas, Labor Day has become a timeout period. As Christmas has become a shopping spree, Labor Day has become the last summer holiday, as I've just expounded upon. The holiday originated in 1887 to celebrate the contribution made by American workers to the strength and prosperity of the United States. The first Monday in September was chosen by President Grover Cleveland to avoid a May date that would keep alive the memory of the previous year's Haymarket Massacre in which workers striking for an eight-hour day suffered casualties from the Chicago police. Yeah, they'll do that. <clears throat> As time passed, union leadership became a career rather than a movement in behalf of a cause. But the labor, labor movement in its initial years was reformist. It, bought, it brought safer working conditions into industry and manufacturing. Unions served as a countervailing power and constrained the exploitative power of capital. An industrial or manufacturing job was a ladder of upward mobility that made the U.S. an opportunity society and stabilized the socio-political system with a large middle class. A large and thriving industrial and manufacturing sector provided many white-collar middle-class jobs for managers, engineers, researchers, and designers. And American universities flourished, as did their graduates. The labor unions provided the Democratic Party with a financial base in labor that served as a countervailing power to the Republican base in manufacturing and finance. Whether it was a plot or unintended consequence, jobs offshoring uh, wrecked the industrial and manufacturing unions and destroyed the Democrats' independent financial base. The two-party system that had maintained a reasonable balance was transformed into a one-party system in which both parties were dependent on the same moneyed interests and thus answered to the same masters. The consequence was the demise of the middle class and the rise of the 1%. Today, the U.S. has the most unequally distributed income and wealth of all developed economies and one of the worst in the entire world. Few Americans other than the 1% have a stake in the American economic and political system. The imbalance in the distribution of income and wealth cannot be corrected through the tax system. The imbalance is due largely to the loss of jobs that provided the economic basis for the middle class. Correction requires a retreat from globalism and the return to a largely self-sufficient economy, which the U.S. economy was during its glory decades. Globalism is a scheme for impoverishing first world labor and taking power and influence from the hands of the many and putting them in the hands of the few. The champions of globalism are the champions of America's destruction. Today, the Republicans are demolishing the public sector unions, 
These jobs can't be outsourced, but public schools can be replaced with charter schools, prisons can be privatized, and many public services can be contracted out to private businesses. Public sector unions never had as strong a case for their existence as manufacturing and industrial unions. Moreover, strikes by firemen, police forces, school teachers, and trash collectors undermine public support for public sector unions, as did many unpleasant experiences with the licensing bureaucracies of state and local government departments. Nevertheless, public sector unions could serve as a check on ambitious executive and legislative power. Whether one has a favorable or unfavorable opinion of unions, their demise is also the demise of countervailing power. A system in which there is no countervailing power is a tyranny in which power is unconstrained and unaccountable. The American people have been subdued and turned into a flock of sheep. Will they ever rise again? Paul Craig Roberts, former Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Treasury, opining there in today's counterpunch thoughts for Labor Day. A little bleak there, perhaps, but uh, as some of the bumper stickers uh, like to remind you, uh, labor unions, you should thank them. They gave you the weekend. And, of course, now that I am retired from my uh, job as a public school teacher here in town, uh, I'm no longer an active member of that union. Of course, uh, as this article uh, mentions, here in the state of Michigan, we are now a so-called right-to-work state, which is a completely bogus and disinformational euphemism for anti-labor union state. Uh, everybody has the right to work. Um, what they don't tell you in that phrase, right to work, is that you do not any longer have the right to uh, register any complaints with any support behind you. Uh, as imperfect as the uh, teachers union is, and all unions are, uh, let's face it, they're all just organized and run by people who are up against substantial and significant financial odds, and uh, many of whom uh, don't get the kind of pay that they could get in a corporate sector, uh, but do so because they have strong feelings about the rights of workers and teachers and so forth. Uh, they were often able to uh, help ameliorate really troubling uh, situations. Schedules, for example, for public school teachers are... Um, often a violation of contracts. And uh, personally speaking, my own uh, teaching schedule violated my contract on a number of occasions, and some of those times the union was able to help. Other times they were not. Uh, so I've always been baffled by people who resented having been compelled to be in a union. I knew teachers who were like, I hate the teachers' union, and I would, I'd rather not be in a union at all. Uh, my... Uh, Experiences growing up in Jackson where, you know, in my youth, the 60s and 70s, there was a heavy manufacturing base in Jackson. And, of course, that all dried up in the uh, advent of globalism in the uh, Reagan years. And you could literally watch the uh, phone book of Jackson, Michigan, 
go from about uh, a three inch thick document to two inches to one inch to uh, its current status. Well, I think it's growing now a little bit as a bedroom community because it's cheap to uh, rent and own property there. But there's not the jobs there anymore that they used to be with the factories. And uh, some of my uh, older family members would also complain about the union. Ah, unions are corrupt. Unions, but my other, you know, uncles, family members would. So there was a big in-family argument about the merits of unions. And at one point, uh, two of my uncles were on opposite sides of a strike. Uh, One in management, the other worked the floor. And so uh, those made for some very humorous uh, family get-togethers as... uh, uh, my one uncle would refer to, uh, go take this to your uncle Scab over there. <laughs> and uh, so that was my introduction to uh, labor relationships and uh, equity in the workplace. Um, as a kid, you know, you saw this all play out within your own family. <clears throat> but the idea that you're going to be better off without some sort of uh, representation for your own rights as a worker... Uh, and the the fact that uh, all you have to do is mention the magical phrase. I've noticed this uh, at art fair time when I talk to the uh, people in the nonprofit booths. Uh, I always like to talk to the Republicans to see if they have any Nixon pins. And uh, I jerk their chain a little bit and uh, talk about Nixon and uh, how he's my favorite cartoon supervillain and that sort of thing. Uh, but if you use the magical phrase job creator, if you happen to be an employer or somebody who pays people to work for you, why, then you are the most magical person since Christ our Lord walked among us because you are the giver of bounty and uh, create the job. But uh, what these people fail to realize is that uh, it's the people who have the jobs who do the spending who are the job makers, Uh, it's demand which creates the need for the economy to keep chugging along. Um, You know, you can have jobs, uh, like let's take, for example, the fast food workers of the United States who were openly mocked and ridiculed when they began to protest uh, and speak out uh, for an increase in the minimum wage uh, oh, those people, you know, they don't deserve, uh, that's, that's a nothing job. You know, anybody could do that job. You don't need any special big pay to work French fry machine or whatever. Well, you know, I had those jobs as a teenager too. And back in those times, late seventies, those were pretty much jobs for teenagers, but the economy's changed. Uh, access to education has been increasingly limited. And so, uh, those jobs are now often, Uh, held by adults, single parents sometimes, who are trying to uh, maintain family finances on wages that are okay for a teenager who's just looking for some additional income uh, because mom and dad have a college fund and I just need money for the gas tank and to amuse my buddies on the weekend. That's what those jobs are good for, and that's what that pay scale is, is functional for. Uh, but when companies like McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King, all major corporations, blue chip stock, you know, I think Burger King's owned by Pillsbury, which is owned by Pepsi. McDonald's, of course, is almost Disney-like in its universal implant on the human psyche 
Although the food is just awful. I mean, I haven't eaten at McDonald's personally in decades. And I'm sure there are many listeners who will disagree with me and go, oh, I'm going to, I love it. And others who will agree with me there. But regardless of what you think of the actual product that they dole out, when you look at the kind of profits that they make, uh, for them to say, oh, uh, we can't afford to pay these people uh, more than the minimum wage that is legally prescribed uh, because then we won't make any money. That's complete nonsense. They're making plenty of money. They're making huge profits. Uh, what they mean to say is we will make less profit, but they will still make plenty of profit. And if the employees have some decent money to take home, then they can take their kids out shopping and buy some things for them. That's how it works. It's this stinginess idea that, um, you know, we got to keep all the cash to ourselves, uh, that the corporate, you know, the banks are reluctant to loan cash. And so uh, there's a lot of wealth that's just sitting and uh, it benefits everybody. Money's for spending. And whether it's for a long-term investment or it's for an immediate gratification, uh, the money that sits in a bag, in a box, in a vault uh, is accomplishing nothing. <clears throat> but money is a concept and a tool that is, you know, best utilized in flowing and movement and going from one to the other. I mean, we've all seen... Uh, it's a Wonderful Life and that sort of beautifully, if perhaps overly simplistic description of uh, how banking should work within a community. Uh, no, you can't get your money today, Bill, because it's in Tony's garage and it's in Susie's construction project. And you can get back part of it, you know, now and some later. And it's a resource that builds communities um, when it's in flow. And when uh, the Greedmeisters lock it up, well, then nobody benefits. And this uh, mantra of you are a job creator is just so much Chamber of Commerce BS. Surprise, surprise. Um, last week, I did not get a chance to mention this, uh, so this fits in perfectly today. Um this is uh, the only newspaper I had access to while I was in Marquette, Michigan, was unfortunately uh, one of the most uh, ridiculous newspapers in the country. But the fact that it still exists in uh, paper print format is, I guess, to be commended. But the USA Today, or as we often call it here on Gray Matters, the USA Toady, did have a front page story that is very resonant with Labor Day. Uh, so even though this is a week old report... I'm going to share this with you, too. Largest U.S. corporate penalty, yet no villains. Settlement names no Bank of America execs as responsible. Bank of America's $16.65 billion settlement with the Department of Justice over selling toxic mortgage securities in the years before the nation's financial crisis is the largest in history for an individual company. But watchdog groups say the agreement is undercut by what it doesn't include. For example, no present or former bank officials were identified as responsible for specific wrongdoing. Well, that's 
a little strange, isn't it? I mean, people made decisions that installed policies that ruined lives and upset family fortunes and college plans and so forth. But, oh, no, those people are not responsible for what they did. If you or I screw up at work, we are responsible for the mistakes and the damages caused, but uh, not the corporate elite in the banking world. Some of these people... I return now to Kevin McCoy's article, may have been rewarded with raises or bonuses and could still be working at the bank. According to Dennis Kelleher, president and CEO of financial watchdog group Better Markets, there's also nothing to stop the nation's second largest bank from deducting billions of the payment from its tax returns. Quote, every dollar in tax benefits that the bank receives from this settlement is a dollar that taxpayers will ultimately pay for in the form of higher taxes, cuts to public programs, or a higher national debt. So argues Phineas Boxendall, senior analyst for tax and budget policy at the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, a nonprofit consumer organization. Well, those guys follow this sort of thing on a regular basis. And, uh, again, the corporate uh, elite, oh, we can deduct this, right? That was a cost to our business, this uh, penalty that we have to pay. So uh, that should have been included. There should have been special language in the uh, the legal finding that assessed them with the $16.65 billion uh, punishment. And it was a settlement, right? So it could have been even worse than that. They settled it down to $16.65 billion. Which, you know, I'm sure you can scrounge up that much just in spare change, right? Well, no, we're going we're gonna to write that off. Well, we'll see how that all turns out. Another uh, article from last week, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to find this one now as I ramble through my uh, pile of clippings. Well, oh, yeah, here we go. Frank Zappa, a great musician, composer, guitar player, etc., in the uh, last couple of years before his untimely passing, he got increasingly uh, outspoken about politics, and uh, he used to have this annual concert on Halloween night, and they would air it on MTV for a couple years in a row. And I remember one year, uh, this was again in the uh, early 80s, Reagan era, and whatever song Zappa was playing, he kept saying over and over. It was a song making fun of, like, Pat Robertson, Jim Baker, Tammy Faye Baker, that sort of, the televangelist. And he kept saying over and over again, tax the churches. Tax the churches. And I thought it was funny. Uh, but as the years went by, I've grown increasingly convinced that Frank Zappa was right. Uh, we need to start taxing the churches, because there's a lot of evangelists. Pat Robertson is the prime example. Uh, the dude owns gold and diamond mines in Africa, in a country where people's lives are uh, treated as cheaply as tissue paper uh, to harvest the bounties of God's beautiful world for the personal enrichment of guys like Pat Robertson who enjoy uh, complete tax-free status for all the... Uh, dupes uh, that throw money their way. Uh, there was recently a story about a, an evangelical bad boy, Mark Driscoll, who started a group uh, 
a church called Mars Hill, which has grown rapidly in the Pacific Northwest. He's recently uh, been discredited um, as trying to start a cult of personality. Well, I feel badly for the people who are so needy in their spiritual lives that they fall prey to these sort of hucksters and charlatans, but it might not be a bad idea to sort of discourage the uh, casual charlatan from engaging in such brazen uh, and open highway robbery if uh, those churches had to kick a little bit back to the communities and tax the churches. Well, that's one man's opinion anyway. Uh, Stay tuned for Yazoo City Calling coming up next. My name is Jim Dwyer, and I'll be back next week with another edition of Gray Matters, possibly with Dick Whaley, possibly just myself. In any event, enjoy the month of September. Go safely and quietly out there in the dangerous world of academic school year. So stay tuned to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor for all your listening pleasures. Bing Crosby, wrap your troubles and dreams, take four. Castles may tumble, that's made after all. Life's really funny that way. Sang the wrong melody, we'll play it back. See what it sounds like, hey, hey. They cut out eight bars, the dirty bastard. I didn't know which eight bars he was gonna cut. Why don't somebody tell me these things around here? Holy Christ, I'm going off my nuts. Uh, the last bastion of freeform. WCBN FM and Ava. Sounds like a bunch of left-wing hippies to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, that mic is on. The mic's Phil. on. Oh my God! Turn off the microphone. Hello, this is Robin Zanner. Hello, this is Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick for Rad. Some people think it's fun to drive drunk, but that's unacceptable. Be smart. If you drink, don't drive. Think ahead and choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives, and so should you. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Rad, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In biology, I learned that I'm fat, I'm stupid. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. The only thing I didn't learn in school today is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying.